Lord Jesus, what a beautiful reminder. As they sung through parts of the 23rd Psalm there. Of your great love and care and value of humanity. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of this worship service. Not simply so that we can be entertained or that we can be blessed, but so that we can bless the one who who placed infinite value upon each one of us. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. When I was welcoming the folk, I forgot of the Cornick family. I wanted to make mention, particular mention, of Emma, their daughter, who's a fourth grader, and she is the one ably manning the door for the his teams. His teams are for everybody, right? All ages. A fourth grader is out there uh, manning that door, so praise the Lord for, for that. We're grateful for her service. We have a society, we have a society whose advancement is built largely on the premise of not ever being quite good enough. In fact, our, our society almost thrives on this idea of needing to get just a little bit better. We motivate and are motivated by the idea that your value is just a little lower than someone else's and that we need to increase our value. We're in the full swing of the presidential primary races now. We've had our first debate. And is this not what they do day in and day out? They, they share with us why they are a little bit more valuable than the next person. Why they have a little, why he or she has a little bit more value than, 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 than their opponent. And if one does seem to get a leg up in an area, say one seems to be stronger in foreign policy, what does the other candidate do or what do the other candidates do? They, in order to build up their value in the eyes of the populace, they, they schedule a trip to Israel or, or to Germany. You know, it worked for JFK when he spoke in, in Germany, so we're going to go and, and speak in, in Germany. Notice no one ever goes to Canada when they want to build up their foreign policy chops. Poor Canada, man. If a politician is seen as lesser value spiritually than another candidate, we've seen them go and sit amongst different religious leaders, sit on Rick Warren's stage and answer questions to prove that they are just as valuable to the Christian voting demographic as the next a number of students are here today, Our, uh, a number of them are gone. I, I notice that many families are out getting their last minute vacation in, and that's good. Sometimes we need to get away. But there are a number of students here, and our local Adventist schools start this Monday. We start school this Monday. Throughout a student's life, something they'll discover more and more is that their value as a student, maybe we don't like to put it this way, but their value as a student is based on the letters on a piece of paper that they receive from quarter to quarter. We don't like to say that, but, but really that is in many ways true. We built a society within that regard. A kid that gets C's, which may be the absolute best that they can do. A kid can work super hard and, and still get C's. They'll never be a part of the National Honor Society. They won't they definitely won't have their name called during those academic award ceremonies. They won't receive those, those scholarships 
from the colleges, even if the C is the best that they can do. Because we don't necessarily reward for hard work per se, we reward for the value, we reward based on the value we've placed on letters on a piece of paper. If a kid isn't doing their best, then, and they're getting those grades, that, that money, those accolades commute, communicate, if you work harder, your value increases. You'll become more valuable to us if you work harder. So students are encouraged to work hard so that they can get those scholarships because they'll be more valuable to the colleges. Can we get maybe a little more personal with this? People put on makeup, people wear certain clothes, people do their hair a certain way, people have plastic surgery, why? Because we live in a society where appearances increase or decrease our value in other people's eyes and in other people's minds. A very slender lady in the 1800s would not be the type of woman that would be desirable for marriage at that point in time. If you read history books, you'll discover that. So even in the 1800s, it was still about appearance, but a different direction of appearance. The value, the value is created by appearance. I'll bring it maybe even closer to home here personally for, for us. I'm much heavier than I was four or five years ago, two or three years ago, a year ago. I want to lose weight. I'm an eternal optimist that I'm going to lose weight. I always tell Christina, I'm going to lose weight. She says, when? How about start today? My buddy Richie, who's out there with his teams, he uh, encourages me as well. He remembers me when I was a little bit smaller. I should want this. Let's, Let's be honest. I should want to lose weight because the body is the temple of God. I mean, this is the reason I should want to lose weight, because the body is the temple of God and because because I want to honor uh, the body that God has given me. You know why I really want to lose weight? Can I be honest with y'all? Why I really want to lose weight? Because I want people to have a higher opinion of me. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest, right? That's partly why we do this. We are embarrassed, and so people have this, this value issue. I have a beautiful wife, and I know, I remember hearing growing up as kids sometimes, like, man, how did that guy end up with that woman, you know? I don't want people to look at me and then look at Christina and say, that guy must have a lot of money because, man, look how beautiful she is. <laughs> looks, we've created a society, and when looks add value or, or, or body composition adds value, We live in a society that advances largely based on creating the notion that we are never quite good enough, that we lack just a little value, and we all play into this. Why? Because feeling valued outside of food and water is our most valued commodity. Feeling valued outside of food and water is our most valued commodity. Tony Schwartz, in an article from Harvard Business Review entitled The One Thing That Matters, he wrote this. The struggle to feel valued is one of the most insidious and least acknowledged issues in organizations. Our core emotional need is to feel valued, he writes. Without a stable sense of value, we don't know who we are and we don't feel safe in the world. 
To feel valued and valuable is almost as compelling a need as food, he says. And then this interesting point from their study. Across more than 200 studies of the effects of stress, that's not 200 people, they study literally tens of thousands of people, but 200 different studies of the effects of stress, researchers have found that the highest rises in cortisol levels, meaning the most pernicious, pernicious fight or flight response, are prompted by threats to one's social acceptance, esteem, and status. The highest rises in cortisol, uh, cortisol, cortisol levels, uh, the, the, the most stressful thing in one's life, I mean, can you believe this? Is whether or not, they saw the highest rises in whether or not in one's social environment they are accepted and valued. So we are a world that's driven by this. We actually place it in front of, it's, it's, we could do more, we could do more, we could do more. So in a world that plays off and even promotes us feeling a list, little less valued so that we will be driven to seek greater value, I want us to look at the evidence of God's, uh, of the extremely high value that God places upon humanity. The high valuation of humanity not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. Turn your Bibles to our scripture reading today, Psalm 139, please. Thank you, Phyllis, for reading that earlier. Psalm 139, and I want us to begin in verse 14, actually. The Bible says here in, in Psalm 139 and verse 14, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Read from whatever version you'd like. But Psalm 139 and verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. When I think about doing a valuation of something, I think of art or collectibles of some, some sort. You know, art is always a thing that's talked about. What's its value? What's its worth? What's its level? My, my sister Stacy took a bunch of art, uh, art history classes and, 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 and uh, classes related to art and we'd go to museums and she'd talk about these different things and I'd see a bunch of stuff on a painting and I thought, man, I could do this and make millions of dollars. I, I've made plenty of messes in my life. I could totally, I could totally do this. Uh, but, but when I was reading, so I went and I looked and I said, what makes art valuable? And I explored how valuation of art is determined. The very first thing is originality, is originality. Is it an original? Not a proof, not a copy, but is it an original? I believe in like manner, folk, we have value in that each one of us are an original. Each and every one of us are an original. When the idiom is used, with you they broke the mold, that can actually be said, I know that's sometimes used negatively, like with you they broke the mold, man. They, God tossed it out at the end of that. It can actually be said of everyone in this room, with each and every one of you, you are such an original. With you, the mold was broken. Young people, the next time that your parents say to you, you're just like your father, next time your mom says that to you, you're just like your father, do it respectfully, but you can honestly retort, no, I'm not. I'm an original. Now do it respectfully. Don't, don't do it. 
There are no two of us alike. We are all originals. No one is exactly like their mom or exactly like their dad. We all have different fingerprints, and, and no two people have the exact same DNA. We are, we are so original that according to The Economist magazine this past week that I was reading, one of the great questions science is trying to unravel is what is human consciousness, and why does it seem to be so different and affected differently in different people? Studying the bits of the brain, they say, that seem to generate consciousness does not answer the question of what such perception really is. They don't know. It's unique. They can't find a, a same answer in everybody. And it isn't, and it's different for all of us. The Bible helps us to understand our valuation to God based on the fact that we each were uniquely, the Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of us is an original. Right there, God is telling us, you are of value. What makes you valuable is that it, it each one of you are unique and, and original in and of yourself. Same with the theme of art. First, a, a painting is, is valued based on its originality. Second, a painting's valuation is based on the reputation of the artist. The price of artwork largely cor correlates to the reputation of the artist. When purchasing a piece of art, buyers should research the artist as thoroughly as possible to ensure they are paying an appropriate price. Find out how significant the artist's major accomplishments are and get as much written information about the artist as possible. What determines value? The artist, the one who, who shaped and fashioned and determined the painting. I would say in like, my, in like manner, we, if we struggle with wondering our value, we should go back to the scriptures and examine the one who made us, examine the one who, who shaped us and fashioned us and formed us, the one who, who fearfully and wonderfully made us. Listen to some of the accomplishments, folk, of the artist that painted you. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters, and it was divided. He said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the water he called seas. Man, there is almost nothing more spectacular than a sea. I mean, it is just beautiful. Water, I just love large bodies of water, whether it be a lake or an ocean or whatever it is. I don't like any of the sand. I wish that God had thought of another thing in regards to the sand, but I like the bodies of water. I mean, these things are spectacular. Look at the artist's that, that made these. Look at the artists that made these. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be light for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. Then God made two great lights, the lesser light to rule the day, or the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. How many of you have ever gone outside when it's a full moon? Recently there was a blue moon, right? Wasn't that the case? A lot of you are nodding. How many of you went outside and looked at that and just examined it? I mean, it was just beautiful. It was spectacular. All, how many of you have gone outside and looked up at the sky and thought, man, that's beautiful? Just, have you done that any time? We do that. The other day I was flying home from uh, Indiana. I made a quick trip to Indiana for some work. And I was flying home from Indiana, and, and, and I was entering from night into day. I took a very early flight, and I was entering from night into day. And the sky was just on fire with this multiple of orange colors. I tried to take a camera, a picture on my, on my cell phone, but there was a really large uh, 
Marine sleeping between me and the window, and he was asleep, and I thought it might be best not to wake him. So I was trying to reach around him, and I was worried he'd wake up and think I was trying to hug him in his sleep. But, um, but I was trying to take a picture for my son because he loves orange, and it was some of the most spectacular oranges I've ever seen in my life. The, the painter that painted that painted you as well. It's amazing. Think about the things. The, the, the artist that created you, what else? What are his major works? What are his major works? Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to their kind, the cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. I saw this thing on, 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 on the news the other day on the C-SPAN, uh, CNN page, and I saw this thing that looked like a penguin and it had blue feet. I don't remember what it was called. I thought, man, how creative does that artist have to be to, to create something like that? How is value determined? How is valuation made? Look at the artists and the major accomplishments. I would say the same thing with you. That, that in the midst of all that, all these amazing and spectacular things, Merle wanted us to turn around and have worship during first service that way because the sun coming through this stained glass window is, is, was just spectacular uh, during first service. And the refraction of that light and the way those colors shine and everything, that's all part of how God designed things to happen. And yet, the, the artist that painted all that, all these things that we see, we hear in the Bible, and he spoke this into, into, into existence, and it was, and he spoke this into existence, and it was, and we spoke this into existence, and it, as, and it was. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read this, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. He created all this wonder. He painted these amazing pictures with, with, with a spoken word and the voice. And then you and I, humanity, the picture shifts, and it's no longer him speaking, but it's him getting down in the dirt and beginning to to work with the hands and to breathing life into it. When, when you're working on something that, that is most valuable, that is when you are the most precise with it and, and the most careful with it. That's how valuable you are to God. God could have said, and let us make man in our image and, and spoke it into existence, and it was. And yet God says, let us make man in our image. I'm not going to speak this into existence. I'm going to get on the ground and I'm going to form humanity. I'm going to breathe life into them. The artist that made you, made all this spectacular stuff that we're amazed by, and yet you are the crown of his creation. In a world in which we're told that we are of lesser value and we need to increase our value, comes a very clear message from the Bible. You are original, and the painter that made you, you are his crowning achievement. How do we determine value? How do we determine value? We determine value based on originality. We determine value by the artist and what the artist has done. What else? We determine value by the, the intimacy with which we were made, the intimacy in which it was done. Again, God got on the ground and formed things and then he breathed life into humanity. He took his time. There was something significant about that moment. I know that Christina in the past has appreciated when on Mother's Day or on her birthday or something, I've gone to Panera Bread and, 
and picked up bagels and gotten her some cream cheese and, and gotten that ready for her. Or when we lived in California, I used to go and pick her up a Jamba Juice every now and then just to surprise her. But this year, when I, when I made with the help of my boys, and I have to give full credit to my son, Dayton. Dayton told me this year, Daddy, are we going to make Mommy breakfast for, for, for Mother's Day? I said, well, we can go get something at Panera Bread. No, Daddy, we're going to make breakfast. Mommy taught me how to make eggs, so we're going to make breakfast. So I made breakfast, I think, for the first time ever in my 12 years of marriage this year. Besides a bowl of cereal, I've, I've made a bowl of cereal for her before. Um, but actual breakfast, and my son actually was the one, the one teaching me. But, but we made breakfast, and, and, and that breakfast, I'm sure, communicated more value than any Panera bagel or any Jamba Juice ever has. Why? Because of the way in which it was made, by the hands that made us. God shaped us with his hands. The master artist painted us into existence. All over the Bible, there are pictures, there is evidence of humanity's immense value to God, not based on anything that they've done or something they have to do extra, but just based on who God is. Not a value that is by works, but an inherent value placed upon us when we were still just the twinkle in our mother's eye. Psalm 139, verses 15 and 16. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they, are, they all were written. The days were fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. In so many ways, God shows us our value separate from our work, but solely upon his work. I see the value God has over you and I and how he pays attention to all aspects of our lives. From, from the moments when we were not even formed yet, when we were still just a twinkle in our mother and father's eye, how, how God cared about us then and knew every detail about us then and how God cares about every detail of our lives now. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on our head. He cares about every detail of our lives. Those little things, those little things matter to us. Verses one through six. O Lord, you have searched me, of 139. O Lord, you have searched me and, know, and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What value. I love the line, you are acquainted with all of my ways. You are acquainted with all of my ways. I saw a friend recently that I hadn't seen in 10 plus years. I hadn't seen them in 10 plus years, and I hadn't talked to them probably in three or four or five years. And I was commenting on how I had been doing so much driving and, and, and uh, I went to see uh, these folk and, and drove to, to see them. And, and I was commenting on how I had done so much driving and I was glad that I didn't have to drive more. And this person's comment to me was this. And this may not strike you as anything at first. But this person's comment to me was this. Well, you've always enjoyed just driving. So it wouldn't have been that bad. Now, you say, well, what's the significance of that? Why? Because this friend was absolutely correct. I love to drive. I love to just get out and go for a drive. Put me in a car, put me on a road, on some backcountry roads, moseying through some small little town or some small little, uh, 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 just, just anywhere. I just love 
to drive. I can go all day. When I uh, have driven with Christina to different places, especially when we were first married or when we were uh, dating, I used to get lost on purpose. Only when Christina was sleeping, though, because Christina uh, believes in getting from point A to point B. And, uh, and she, would, she would wake up, and we'd be going different places. We'd be driving from Ohio to the seminary, and I'd get lost on some back Ohio or Michigan roads, wandering where it was at. And Christina would wake up, and I'd say, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. I got it. Okay. Because I knew if she fully woke up, I had to find my actual right way and get back on the right, the right trail. That, that three and a half, four hour drive oftentimes took six or seven. I just love to drive, I love to drive. And, and what was significant to me was my friend saying, oh, it would be okay, you've always loved driving. To me, that statement right there just spoke of value because here was someone that I haven't seen in 10 years and I haven't talked to in three or four years and they remember this little detail of my life. That at some point in the history of my life to this person, I shared with them or they noticed that I love driving and here is someone remembering that moment, I thought, Man, that, that little phrase spoke to me of, of their value of me. And it meant something. Little things mean something. And we see this God that is acquainted with every aspect of our life. The little things like whether or not we like to drive or whether we like to get to point A or point B. God knows all of those things about us. All over the scriptures, all over the scriptures is communicated how much God values us. Throughout the Bible, we see evidence of our immense value to God, not based on anything that we have done, but upon everything that he does for us. All over scripture, I see my value in the eyes of God declared to me. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, Zephaniah chapter three and verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I love that last phrase, he will rejoice over you with singing. Singing to someone is something special. And if you can serenade your wife, that is something special. It is a gift. In high school, myself and another individual both like this same girl. And, and honestly, in my, in my egotism, I didn't think the guy had a chance. And then one time, thank you for laughing, some of you, uh, and then one time, all of us were hanging out. We were actually on a camp out together. And this guy pulls out his guitar and begins to sing to her. And immediately I thought, oh man, I'm in trouble. The largest book in the Bible is a, is a book of, of songs. It's, it's, it's songs to the Lord and the Lord singing back to us. The Song of Solomon, which is a giant love letter, is actually a giant love Song. There's this, there's this intimacy, that's, intimacy that's conveyed in singing. And the Bible says that God rejoices over us with this intimate act, this singing. All throughout the scriptures, we see evidence of, of our value to God. When Miriam was expressing her appreciation after crossing the Red Sea, she did so in song. When Mary was, was, was rejoicing in the value, the blessing God had placed upon her in having a child. She did so in song. When the disciples and Jesus had finished their last meal together before he hung on a cross, the Bible tells us they sung a song. Songs are special and for special people, and they express special emotion and special value. And the Bible tells us in Zephaniah 3.17 that God values you so much, and he values me so much that he rejoices over you with singing.
You may have no one else in your life there to serenade you or sing you a song. Or you may have a spouse that you don't want them to serenade you or sing you a song. But whatever the case may be, there is one that sings over you. Not based on anything you've done, but based upon how much he values you. That is the God Almighty. All throughout the Bible, I see pictures, evidence of the value God places on you and on me and upon all humanity. Not by any act of our own, but through his works. Isn't this the message of John chapter 3 and verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This isn't in my notes, but I'm going to tell you a story anyways. I should have brought the visual illustration because I do indeed still have it. When I was about one or two years old, one years old, one year old, years, year, there's only one there, okay, singular, one year old, my grandma made me a blanket, a blankie. Anyone had a blankie growing up? Any of you? A few of you? So I had this blanket, and this blanket literally was with me all my life. You know, when I was in high school, I tried to hide it under my pillow under my bed, I got, I got, I, I, I had enough self-confidence by one point in my life that, that uh, I, I started just letting it be out. One time I was at my, actually at my best friend Scott's house, and I pulled the pillow off his bed like this, and this blanket falls on the floor. I said, Scotty, what is that? He goes, nothing, don't worry about it. I go, do you have a blanket? He's like, shut up, man. We don't say shut up in church, I apologize. But that's what he said to me, shut up, man. I said, it's okay, so do I. He's like, oh, it's great. He takes out his blanket, like tucks it under his arm. We're all good. A couple of Linuses or whatever that kid's name is. And so I have this blanket, right? And this blanket, I've had it. My grandma and my mom have refurbished this thing on multiple occasions. Um, and, and all the way up till I got married, I slept with this blanket. So here's the story on the value. I never was a... I take this blanket with me when I go on trips, like when we go on class trips or whatever, and I tuck it in my, in my pillowcase, you know? Be an extra little bump right there. Then when everyone's asleep, I can pull it out. Have it right there with me. So, all you psychologists, you can <laughs> analyze it however you want. Before Christina, there was a girl that I was very serious with close to getting married to. And I thought, what can I do to communicate my immense value for this girl? She, had, she was a senior. I was a sophomore. She had gone back to Texas to, uh, to uh, take her nursing boards, and I was still a Southern. So I put together this box, this, like, care package thing to send to her. And I thought, what can I really communicate that I value her? And I thought, my blanket. You know, we were talking about getting married. She knew about the blanket, okay? So it, was a, it wasn't going to be weird. So I folded that blanket up and I put it in that box. I put it in that box and I had it there. I was getting ready to send it. As a guy, that means like two weeks later I may send it. But it was there. And, uh, and so, long story short, out of the blue, unbeknownst to me, she breaks up with me. Devastating. Crushing me. The very first thing I do, even before I called my mom, which I did do, 
can analyze that as well. The very first thing I do was I ran over to that box and I grabbed my blanket out of that box and I said, she's not getting this. <laughs> Value, we, 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 give, we give to those who we value most, our most valuable possessions. And for some reason in my life, that blanket was my most valuable possession. I keep trying to give it to my most valuable possessions now, my sons, and I guess they're more men than me because I keep finding it on the floor and them seeming totally disinterested in it, and it just breaks my heart. But anyways, that's a whole other sermon. I, I just thought of a sermon in my head right there, and we'll, we'll preach that another time. But this blanket was a value. But, but we give to those that we value most. We, we want to convey to them how much we value them. And the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16 that God gave his one and only son. Not his one and only blanket. Not his one and only self. He gave his one and only son for us. All throughout scripture I see pictures and evidences of how much God values humanity, how much God values you, and how much God values me. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, the greatest statement of value of all. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest revelation of our value to God in that while we were still without strength, while we were still sinners, in due time Christ died not for the good ones that have proven their value, not for the ones who had who had said, look how I've got it all figured out, God. The Bible says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And just in case you weren't aware of that, that includes all of us, the ungodly. What was it that Tony Schwartz wrote in the Harvard Business Review? Our core emotional need is to feel valued. Without a stable sense of value, we don't know who we are and we don't feel safe in the world. Folk, in a world and in a society that drives us by always pointing out how we could do just a little more to be just a little more valuable. In a world in which tells us we have to work harder to increase our value. We have to look differently to increase our value. In a world that tells us that we have to have more money to increase our value. That we have to have certain letters by our name on our report card to increase our value. In the midst of this constant not good enough world, the Bible screams out a message to us. You are valued just the way you are. Nothing you can do will make you more valuable to Jesus. Nothing you can do will make you more valuable to God. Nothing you can do will make you more valuable to the Holy Spirit. Nothing you will do will make you less valuable to God. Nothing you will do will make you less valuable to Jesus. Nothing you will do will make you less valuable to the Holy Spirit. I've said that a million times in my life, but I don't think I fully understood that until I had kids and I realized that no matter what they ever do in my life, even if they took my own life, I would still value them 
at the utmost. That's how God feels about each one of us. That even though our sins put his son on the cross, even though our sins put Jesus on the cross, nothing we can do will make us less valuable to Jesus. That is the message I need to hear in the midst of my insecurities. Is the message maybe you need to hear in the midst of your insecurities. In the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your regrets, we need to hear the message, Chad, you are valuable to me. Brother, sister, you are valuable to me. Will you please pull out your connection cards at this time? These cards that you got when you came in. If you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand. I think some deacons have some. If you pull out your connection cards, my response to today's sermon The sermon was clear today. If the sermon was clear today, you understand that it was about how much God values you without a work on your own, without anything you've done. Just inherently, you have immense value to God. You have immense value to God. If that was clear to you, write that. I see the evidence. You can see the evidence of your immense value to God. Maybe one of those things just resonated with you. Yeah, I've never thought about that. I'm original. That even though I feel kind of just like I'm plain or laissez-faire or no one really notices me. I'm actually an original. Someone thinks I'm original. Or maybe what resonated with you is that, that God rejoices over you with singing. Maybe you're a musical person and the idea of having someone sing over you. Maybe you're lonely and you don't have anyone in your life that's affirming you in that way and to know that God is rejoicing over you with singing. Maybe that resonated with you. Maybe it resonates and hopefully it resonates with all of us that that, that that Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for you and I. Maybe that resonates with you. I recognize, I see the evidence of my immense value to God. I accept God's value of me and I wanna show my appreciation by giving him my heart. There might be someone in here who has never made a decision for Jesus. You should never presume even within a church that that's not the case. There might be someone in here that has never given their heart to Jesus or maybe has, has gone through the motions but but, on, but honestly, they've never surrendered their heart to Jesus. And, and today you want to say, you know what? I appreciate, Jesus, all that you've done for me. I appreciate how much you value me. And I want to make a decision for you. I want, to, I want to show my appreciation by giving you my heart. By giving you my heart. That's the best gift that we can give to God, by the way. We give him our stewardship, and that's good. And we give him our time, and that's good. But he wants us to, to start with giving him our heart, truly giving that to him, surrender to him. And then my last one, I would like to publicly declare how much I appreciate God's value of me by being baptized. I'm not saying right now you're gonna run up here and get baptized, but there may be someone in here who's never been baptized before, or maybe was baptized long ago and they've wandered away from God and you need to make that decision again. And you wanna publicly declare how much you appreciate how much God values you. Public declaration isn't just to get your name on the books. It's to be a testimony of your commitment to God, of your appreciation to God. I think about a wedding. Why would we go through the, the process of a wedding? We go through it in front of witnesses and all these people in order to affirm, I value that person and I trust that they value me. And we're going to spend our lives trying to outdo one another in our value for one, each other. 
In like manner, that, that baptism is that, is that public commitment, that public affirmation. I recognize God's immense value for me. And in return, I give him my heart and I express my value to him. If you've never made that decision in your life, I hope that you will consider doing that today. You know, folks, we need to remember this on a more frequent basis. In a world in which tells us that we are not good enough, the Bible speaks to us. I encourage you to study your Bibles, not just for knowledge, not just out of habit or rote, but study your Bibles and see in there the stories and the evidences of just how valuable each and every one of us are to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowing that value will truly change your life, change the way you live, change the way you parent, change your relationship with your spouse, change the way you work. Because when someone really loves us, when we understand that someone really values us, that changes everything. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you for the evidences all over the scriptures that demonstrate to us just how much you value us. Lord, whatever we came in with today, whatever struggles we came in with, whatever doubts we came in with, whatever insecurities we came in with, Lord, may, may they begin to subside as we focus on the love and the value that Jesus sings over us. In your name we pray, amen.